This is Nullius in Verba, a podcast about science, what it is, and what it could be. It's co-hosted by me, Smriti Mehta from UC Berkeley, and me, Daniel Lakens from Eindhoven University of Technology. In today's episode, we discuss Richard Feynman's famous speech from the commencement ceremony at Caltech in 1974, where he coined the term cargo cult science. Cargo cult science refers to work that has all the affectations of science without the actual application of the scientific method. We also discuss topics like what is pathological science? How might cargo cult science and pathological science be different from pseudoscience? How do we know whether or not we're in a cargo cult science? And when shit hits the fan, do we want pilots who know how a plane flies or pilots who only know how to press buttons? Enjoy. Men learn the elements of science from others, and every learner has a deference more or less to authority, especially the young learners, few of that kind caring to dwell long upon principles, but inclining rather to take them upon trust and things early admitted by repetition become familiar, and this familiarity at length passeth for evidence. So this is a nice early quote from Berkeley, 1735. Mm. Yeah, yeah, which is a great quote. Um, and he's Berkeley is what Berkeley for UC Berkeley is named after. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think so, maybe. Yeah, it yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it is. I think so. Okay. All right. Well, well, I hope good. I'm not totally wrong about that, but I but I know, but I definitely think that is the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So good, it's good. kind of a nice, um, yeah. So Daniel, before we sort of introduce our topic of today, which is related to the Berkeley quote, and we'll come back to how I wanted to start by asking you. Well, I'm going to pose a number of statements about mm. a scientific discipline, <laughs> and I want you to tell me. Like whether you think on average, whether this is true of psychology or not. Oh, dear. Okay. Okay. Bring it, bring it on. Uh, on average. Okay. Whether mm-hmm. this is true of psychology or not. Okay. So the first one, the maximum effect that is observed is produced by a causative agent of barely detectable intensity. And the magnitude of the effect is substantially independent of the intensity of the cause. So in other words, the effect is independent of the intensity of the cause. Um, I, I, I know some papers that are like this. Um, we're working a little bit and thinking about exactly this topic of effect sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely something I see. So should I say if it's on average the case? On average, yeah. Ooh, hmm. I don't think on average because okay. there there are quite some situations where we have you know increases of manipulations mm-hmm. and then we actually see increases of effects yeah. so sort of a dose response curve yeah yeah exactly right um on average i think we're on the safe side here okay good good all right the second one the effect is of a magnitude that remains close to the limit of detectability or many measurements are necessary because of the very low statistical significance of the result Hmm. 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 That happens. I think so. That might be quite common. Yeah. Yeah. 
And especially yeah. in the literature, if you read the literature, I think that's pretty, right. yeah, yeah, because yeah. we have the same effect sizes or just significant effect size with varying sample sizes, which I know is a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah? Okay. okay, yeah, yeah. One to This one. is on All average right. true, I think. <laughs> yeah. All right, third one. There are claims of great accuracy or great precision. Uh, rarely, no. On average, not true. I th don't think so. No, okay. no. I mean, right. I think it's Cohen or something who once said, the reason we don't report confidence intervals um, for effect sizes is because they are so embarrassingly large. <laughs> so right. no, we're, no accuracy, I think, not on average. Well, but if you're not reporting them, then aren't you like hiding that you're uncertain about oh. it? Uh, if that counts, then then we are on the other side. Yes, then yeah. because we right? of, we often exactly. ignore the fact exactly. at all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is exactly Cohen's point. Yeah. Okay, then we are yeah. on the other side. Okay, we <laughs> pretend we're more accurate than we are. We ignore exactly. the uncertainty. Okay. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Fourth one. Fan fantastic theories contrary to experience are suggested. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you can't even. You don't can't, can't even complete even it without laughing. <laughs> um, you know, let's just say that. Um, yeah, very rewarded. Very rewarded. And oh, yeah. I think every every TED talk uh, and and right. half of the pop science books you read yeah. are, are full of this. So, um, on average, at least you know. In, in the popular stuff that you hear. Yes, on average, true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this, this is not looking good. <laughs> How many more are there? I'm feeling, I'm feeling bad, yeah. <laughs> just, two, just two more. Okay, two, okay. Two more. Oh, you're going to love this one. Criticisms are met by ad hoc excuses thought up <laughs> on the spur of the moment. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. And the last one, the critics cannot reproduce the effects. Only the supporters can. And the ratio of supporters <laughs> to critics rises up to somewhere near 50% and then gradually falls to oblivion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things, we've been in this replication crisis for a decade or so. And one of the things I keep waiting for is for the people who defended their original results and said, mm -hmm. no, no, you're not replicating them right, to yeah. just do one replication of their own work. It doesn't happen. So I have to say that this is... Uh, yeah, we're we're also this is true for our field, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um yeah, so this these are um Urban Langmuir, who was a chemist, a Nobel willing chemist, his symptoms of what is a pathological science. And these are, you know, the mm -hmm. sort of um five criteria that he gives for what counts as a pathological science, which is somewhat mm -hmm. related to our topic for today, which mm -hmm. is cargo cult science. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, yeah. Given that we've just talked about this, like where mm -hmm, you think mm -hmm. psychology falls, you yeah. know, on a continuum from good science done well to like fraudulent science. Mm. Is, is that the scale? Good science to fraudulent science or? Yeah, I was, I was thinking of the different categories myself. Yeah. As well. So, yeah. So I think this we talked about a little bit and it's not some, something mm. I thought of before, like in that course that I keep mentioning, the sense and sensibility and science, which I mm -hmm. mean, there's some really great content in there about how to think about science. And so the spectrum of research that we talked about is like good science mm -hmm. where you get the right results. That's the mm -hmm. ideal situation, right? You've mm -hmm. done it well, you get the sure. right result. Then you have good science with the wrong results. Mm -hmm. So you could have done everything well, but you still end up just getting the wrong results. So it's done well, mm -hmm. you did everything you could, but you know, 5% of the time it will be wrong, right? Sure. That's just the nature of things. And then you have poorly done science. So mm -hmm. you're, you're not trying to fool everybody, you've just done it poorly. Um, mm -hmm. Then you have pathological science, which are these criteria that we just talked about, um, yeah. where, yeah, and I like I sort of struggle between. So the next one down is pseudoscience, 
And yeah. that is yeah. those are those yeah. are the two categories that I would love for us to discuss more about what's yeah. the difference between them. But so it yeah. goes to pathological science, then pseudoscience, and then fraudulent science, where you're actually just you know making up stuff and <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a nice yeah. continuum. It's yes. a very nice continuum. Yeah. So I think the topic of today for for me, uh, cargo mm-hmm. cult science, is yeah. not the same as pseudoscience. So it's not mm-hmm. all the way mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the reasons I like this Berkeley quote is because it highlights how we don't think about what we do. Mm-hmm. We do things because we've been taught them and we don't really think why we do these things. We just imitating other people we've seen mm-hmm. and we don't really question why those things happen. And then by repetition, we yeah. we take them like yeah sure we do this you know for a reason this is how we do it and we don't think about it anymore and i would say it's maybe close to pathological science somewhere in between maybe pathological science is even one step further because it's also about which kind of research questions or stuff maybe but it's it's around pathological but not pseudoscience and then maybe the distinction is i think for pseudoscience is just you really are misleading basically and and often you even know that you're misleading and not using scientific methods but i think for cargo cult science you think you're using scientific methods right but they are actually not the right methods but you think you do them because everybody around you does them or you saw other mm. people do them. does that make sense or yeah yeah where, where did you think it would be yeah cargo that's cult science. where cargo cult science would be um it's an interesting question about yeah whether it falls closer to one or like somewhere in the middle. So I was thinking about, yeah, what is the difference? So pseudoscience is where you, like you have certain practices or beliefs which are presented as scientific but aren't really, right? So things like homeopathy or mm-hmm, astrology, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. or that kind of stuff where you're like not yeah. even using the scientific method, but you're pretending that they're scientific. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. And you are, you know, based a lot more on sort of anecdotal evidence, anecdotal, mm-hmm. anecdotal evidence, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, just made up stories and stuff where you're not even using the scientific method properly. So that's yeah. pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. Um, pathological science would be more where you are using the actual methods of science, but mm-hmm. you are so married to a certain idea or a certain hypothesis that it's a, sort of affecting you know, mm-hmm. you're like, yeah. it maybe it's leading to certain kind of like confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Irvin yeah. Langmuir in his in this paper that um, we talked about pathological science from physics review talks about these few examples of people, I mean, mm-hmm. using the methods that everybody else is using, but because they're, you know, things are right on the threshold, we are you seeing something? Yeah. Are you not seeing something right? You're sort of tricking yeah. yourself into um, it's very much how confirmation bias can mislead you, I guess. And you don't really try to resist confirmation bias at all. You're just going with it, actually. Right, exactly. And so I think it I think you're right. It might be close to like cargo cult science might be close to pathological science. And there's one a quote that I really like from Langmuir's paper where he mm-hmm. says the um and he gives a few examples, and it's a great read because you think that only you struggle with it in psychology, but then you realize, oh, these, you know, yeah. chemists are like they they face sort of the same issues, and it, it's sort of mm-hmm. it's almost a little heartening because you're like, well, we're not the only ones, <laughs> you know, everybody else yeah, is struggling with totally. these things. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then he says the Dave, the Davis Barnes experiment and the N rays and the mitogenetic rays all have things in common. These cases where there is no dishonesty involved, but where people are tricked into false results by a lack of understanding about what human beings can do to themselves in the way of being led astray by subjective effects, wishful thinking, mm. or threshold interactions. 
um, these are examples of pathological signs and threshold phenomena is where something is just barely detectable. So I think yeah. in that sense, it is pretty close to sort of this idea of, you know, you're sort of just fooling yourself mm-hmm. into believing mm-hmm. something. So I think, yeah, I yeah. think cargocal science might be a little bit closer to pathological science. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's an interesting difference though. Mm-hmm. And so the the paper we'll talk about mainly, or the idea at least, is in Cargo Cult Science by Richard Feynman, mm-hmm. which is originally a speech um, and uh, written down also. Yeah, in, uh, in 1974 and written down in his book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, Cargo Cult Science has something um, also quite scary, I think, in that you don't know that what you are doing is not the right thing. (laughs) So you're not even ignoring that you're a human being and you can fool yourself and you have confirmation bias. But you actually, I think, you think this is the way to do it because you see it all the time and you don't question this maybe because it is so normative, the behavior. Mm. It's just what you see everybody do. You don't even question it. Whereas, you know, often with confirmation bias, I guess at least we know we might have it or not, but we make the wrong judgment. We think, well, I'm not being biased here. The other case is scarier to me because I don't know how you can know that you're not in it. In what? How do you know you're not? Oh, how do you know you're not in a cargo cult science? Or you're not doing certain things Uh that are cargo cult, basically. Yeah, Mm. yeah. But before we get to those questions, uh, maybe it's just fun to, you, you really like this paper. Uh, oh, I, I absolutely mm. love it. I love it so much. Every time I read it, I enjoy it. I try to get my students in that class to read it twice. I'm like, everybody <laughs> should read it. And every time I read it, it's just, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. You know, like, and there's so many things that he talks about that we now think are so important. And, you know, things like open mm. science and replicating things and mm. not, you know, not file drawing things. And so, oh, it's just, I, I love it so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think many people who are working on improving science really like this right. paper because the first time you read it, yeah. it's from 1974. So yeah. it's a while ago, like half a century almost. Uh, but the moment you read it, um, you're like, yeah, these are exactly uh-huh. the problems we're trying yeah. to fix. And then many of his examples go even further back where he talks about, you know, talking to a psychology student, uh, what (laughs) studies should I do? And then this was in 1935, apparently. Mm -hmm. It's a long time ago. And then he just describes that the student went back to her professor and the professor says, no, no, we don't do that. We don't do direct (laughs) replications. You know, it's already been done. And he's like, well, that's kind of weird, but it seemed normative. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it remained normative for like almost a century. I mean, here we are. Yeah, indeed, publication bias and uh, all these things. He just mentions, he just lists all of the problems. Like you should publish results either way, no matter how it could, which is kind of the logic behind replication reports, right? Mm -hmm. He mentions... Mm -hmm. um, Oh, it's so it's just so good. So many things. You're like open science, just doing things, you know, openly and sharing anything that could possibly invalidate your results. That is kind of logic of, oh, yeah, just, just show us your data, show us your results, yeah. right? So I think it's, yeah, it's just exactly. chock full of things yeah. that are just excellent. So in, in all of his book, um, Richard Feynman, you can tell that he really just does not like psychology and like cognitive mm. sciences. Um, but then he mentions, I think, as you mentioned, when the when the student mm. from psychology came and talked to him about, mm-hmm. I want to add to this experiment. He's like, first replicate it to see if you can replicate it. Um, and then her advisor was like, no, we don't do that. And then he mentions mm-hmm. the example of somebody, Mr. Young, a psychologist who had done these experiments with Rad. And I was actually trying to find who this Young was. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Paul Thomas Young. 
I think mm-hmm. I couldn't find exactly the paper that I think um, Feynman mentions. I, I would be I would love to read it, but I I couldn't yeah. find exactly the one. There's one from 1932 about mm-hmm. rad like food preferences, and I think that there might be something from there. Um, yeah, he he did mention food and being food. able to smell whether the, the food. food's there. Then yeah, yeah. Could but be he it. said could nineteen. He said nineteen thirty-seven, and I didn't find anything from nineteen thirty-seven. No, that's what that's what professors do who are overconfident, <laughs> like Feynman. They they yell names or years with confidence, but it's just a couple of years off. Yeah, that's yeah, part couple, of it. So I think that might be it. But it, I mean, it's a great example of oh, he's like you know he tested like well, how can the rats tell where the food mm-hmm. is, and he tried everything. Like first made sure all the doors are exactly yeah. the same. You know, made little changes to the experiment design to see what it is and he's like mm. eventually he realized that they could tell by the way the floor sounded so he yeah. put sand <laughs> yeah. so he put sand on the floor <laughs> yeah. to make sure they couldn't hear and then they weren't able to tell where the food had been and it's such a great example because he's like and then i looked into it and people didn't never referenced his work and they didn't yeah. pay attention to the work because yeah. they said he hadn't found anything about the rat and he said i looked into subsequent history the next experiment and the one after that never referred to mr young they never used any of his criteria for of putting the corridor on sand or being very careful. They just mm. went right on to running rats in the same old way and paid no attention to the great discoveries of Mr. Young. And his papers are not referred to because they didn't discover anything at all about rats. In fact, he discovered all the things you have to do to discover something about rats, but not paying attention to the experiments like that is a characteristic of cargocal mm. science. Mm. And so I do think that that's what I also worry about in psychology is mm-hmm. that, I, I, you know, there's probably a lot of great insights hidden away mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in stuff like that where we just, yeah. we don't read things, we don't pay attention to them. And when things aren't flashy enough, right, they kind of just don't get like, oh, yeah, no, but but this is, this might seem like boring work to some people, but mm-hmm. you found something important about how to find something about rat yeah. behavior. And that's important to sort of integrate that into the knowledge. And if you're not doing that, as Feynman says, it's characteristic of cargocal science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how you put in all the effort to figure out who this one person, this one <laughs> psychologist, the only psychologist that Feynman was impressed about. Yeah. But that's, you know, it's important to know exactly. <laughs> yeah, give give this person some credits. Uh, yes. After yeah. all this time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Nice. Yeah. I think, yeah, I was looking at the research and I think Tolman cites mm. him at some point, which okay. is how I yeah. found out who it was. Yeah. I would see Tolman, which the old psychology building at UC Berkeley was mm-hmm. named after before it was oh. demolished Tolman Hall. So we've come back to Berkeley. So full circle. Yeah, full circle. Full, full circle. circle. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. And there's another example where he talks about how people have an existing result that they think is true. Mm-hmm. And then in the replications of this, people are in the direction of this result, but actually the result is wrong. So actually, over a long time, they drift to the real value, but they do it very slowly. And he explains that they just leave out some of the extreme values. So um, uh, the Millikan number or something, uh, a number by Millikan. Oh, right, 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 yeah, yeah. Where they're like, oh, because people, yeah, he had done some calculation. And every time people found a value that was higher than theirs, they thought they had done something wrong. So they, so they were finding ways to say, oh, yeah, maybe we did something wrong. And when they found yeah. something that was closer to his number... They were like, oh, then it must be right, which is the logic for doing blind analysis. That's exactly True. why you should do that because it's, yeah. you know, then you're looking for errors, not like because then there's a bias that you're only yeah. checking for errors when you think you haven't found something that True. you expected to see. Yeah. 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 So it's a little bit of pee hacking. You make your data, <laughs> you know, you change it, yeah. you throw away some outliers, and you make it a little bit more like the number you think. Right. And then there's also the case he discusses about, um, 
uh, again in physics so it's nice to see the same thing yeah. that they have this very big fancy machine and they just want novel results mm. all the time and he says no but these people because they want to produce novel results and get more funding for their device yeah. they're not doing good science and basically it's a description of the reward structures right. getting in the way yeah. of doing science with integrity yeah no and the yeah. tricky, and I was reading it, I was thinking, but that's, isn't that exactly what's happening to graduate students everywhere? Mm -hmm. but, right? Because you have limited time. You also have probably limited resources. So mm -hmm. if you go around trying to replicate other people's work, then I'm sure your advisor would be like, well, no, that's not going to get you, you know, fancy publications and jobs. And yeah. so, right? Yeah. Which is. No, I mean, uh, many of these things are still the same. And the reward yeah. structures are still not always in line with doing the right thing. And we still right. have publication bias. We still don't oh, publish yeah. everything. So. Yeah, he just points out like a whole list of those things. And yeah. It's, but the thing about publishing everything, I always sort of, the thing I think about it is like publishing, no matter how the results turn out or publishing everything you do, only makes sense if you're doing things well. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a little <laughs> bit know, of a like, precondition. Precondi yes, I agree. Mm. Yeah, like if you're just doing junk, like nobody wants to read that. <laughs> Like, no, that's so. fine. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's typically he would mean something like if you would, would have published it, if the results were in the other direction, right. you know, uh, and, but the study quality is the same. So, right. yeah, of course, I mean, we, a, we make mistakes and sometimes, uh, but in general, I mean, we know that the publication system is still geared towards these positive results. So he's yeah. pointing all of these things out mm -hmm. and it's in a very nice, engaging story as well. So yeah. yeah, it's difficult not to like a paper like this. Oh my God. Yeah. It is so great. I remember like, yeah, I think I, like I've told you before, like I've always sort of, well, not all, sort of struggled with this, you know, what, yeah, what is that? Like, it seems to be missing something. The way we do things seems to be mm -hmm. missing something. And I think when I read this, I was like, oh yeah. That mm -hmm. that is what I was looking for, you know, mm -hmm. um, where somebody points out what is it that thing that's missing, and mm -hmm. I think he does say that, you know, it, and he does talk about it how like it's not something we really teach students, yeah, right, like it's it's like you, we just expect you will just get it, like it's not taught in yeah. any science course, it's not mentioned anywhere, but where he says it's the kind of scientific integrity, a principle of scientific thought that corresponds to a kind of utter honesty, you know, a kind mm -hmm. of leaning over backwards to show. You know, if you're doing an experiment, you should report things that you think might invalidate the results. The results, yeah, um, yeah. Details that that could throw doubt on your interpretation must be given if you know them. So this idea of really, you know, whatever you're doing, to do it with a certain kind of yeah intellectual honesty and a mm -hmm. certain amount of scientific integrity. Yeah, and the that, the bending over backwards the bending over backwards to, to prove yourself wrong. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. such a, and that's what you worry about right because i think i've mentioned this before too i have seen it happen where you see people do that mm -hmm. um or be really honest about what could be you know the sort of limitations of their work yeah. and then people are you like mentioned. oh well you you haven't done you know look at yeah. all these limitations you haven't done and so it's such a double-edged sword right yeah. like you want to yeah. be able to do that but then people seem to discount what you've done because you're just being very honest about yeah. you know what you've done which is yeah, yeah like I, I don't know how to change that i don't mm -hmm. know how to change that kind of attitude of or, or, or like treating that kind of integrity with a little bit more respect no we should yeah. respect people who are willing to to, to do say this, yeah. to do yeah. this yeah yeah and i think a philosopher of science if they read this speech they would be like oh that's really a, a, a nice speech but this is not what scientists do 
Right. Uh, which is also true. I mean, and of course, I mean, this attitude, right? This attitude is not what they do. And he also gives many examples of how they don't do it. But isn't it nice to every now and then just hear somebody say, no, but this is what we are supposed to do. This yeah. is what the idea was, you know? Uh -huh. So it's, yeah. you read it and you're like, yes, damn it. This is the way we should be doing things. Yeah. Might not always work out in practice, you know, but uh, it's nice to read somebody just say like, yeah, we should do it like this. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Shall we go into detail about what the cargo cult uh, mm -hmm. metaphor is that he has? Yeah. Yeah. So this um, idea of cargo cults comes from this like after the war or maybe even during World War II, there were these mm -hmm. Pacific Islanders who mm -hmm. had seen during the war that they had seen all these, you know, these runways made and like they had all these, you know, controllers and all this like technology. And then the planes would come and deliver cargo, you know, just yep. supplies to them. And mm -hmm. they, you know, after the war was over, they tried to sort of emulate a lot of the practices that they saw. You know, mm -hmm. so they're creating these like fake runways or sitting somebody down in a little, you know, as a controller on the side. And they're mm -hmm. doing all the things that they thought would get the planes to land to mm -hmm. bring them supplies. And it just didn't happen. No. But they're trying to mimic, I think, as you were pointing out, like this sort of mimicry that was going on without really understanding what was happening. You're just trying to mimic and imitate what you saw happening at the time. And expect yeah. the planes to land. And so there that is where the metaphor comes from. And so Feynman is yeah. trying to say that there are certain disciplines where they try to yeah, mimic these practices that seem scientific, that they see other people do, but they're not really using the practices of side, right? They're not really actually trying to understand what's going on. Yeah. And that yeah. that that's what a cargo cult science is. Yeah. Yeah. So so I already mentioned that this um worries me a little bit because then I think, how am I supposed to know hmm. that I am not? in a cargo cult. And of course, <laughs> I think right. in general, I mean, I do think, you know, you learn a little bit about the basics. We're not completely ignorant about the system we're building. Like if, if we would build a runway, we know a little bit about planes and those kind of things. But let's just say that at this runway, things work, but I think that I'm supposed to stand on my left leg. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and I'm not really sure why I'm standing on my left leg, but this is just a thing that, it, become, it becomes the norm. This is what we do. And it's part of the procedure. And you're like, well, why am I standing on my left leg? I don't know. But I mean, okay, this is just the thing we do. And, and I don't know where the equivalent of those kind of meaningless actions are in science. Or actually, I know that there are some of these meaningless yeah. actions mm -hmm. that we do through imitation without thinking about it. So I know that some things are in the cargo code, but then I don't know about the things I don't know. Yes. <laughs> or the yeah? things so, that you haven't thought yeah about yeah, yeah. so right. so 20 years my phd student's gonna say you know former phd student's gonna say daniel was a pretty you know he, he knew some stuff he knew some stuff about science he thought long about this uh-huh but then he messed this thing up and he had no clue that this was completely meaningless something like this yeah that's an interesting question of like how do you know well, but I would say, but wouldn't you say, I mean, the fact that you are thinking about at least some of those things, even if there are some things you might miss right now, mm -hmm. I think the fact that you are still thinking about a lot of them carefully makes you less likely to fall into, right? To to be sort of the in, in a cargo cult. Right? Hopefully. Because, because there are a lot of, I mean, you know, I mean, when you think about so many people who won't, like, it's like you... And this I see in statistics all the time, and maybe you can relate, where you have people 
that won't even explain to you what the what the logic behind certain things and mm-hmm. they're like just do this when you see this number here mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what this means and then you just you know you say this now um yeah. and i get like why and it, it's because i think so many people are just so afraid of statistics they don't want to look at right they're like i don't want to see it i don't want to know it don't tell me just tell me you know i, I don't mm-hmm. think i don't know if i've told you this i one time her, her graduate student He's like, I, I don't want to know all that. Just tell me which number, you know, just tell me mm-hmm. which, bu- you know, bu- mm-hmm. buttons to press. You oh, know, yeah. just just tell me how to do it. And I'm like, it sounds like, I don't know if I've shared this analogy before, but to me, it always sounds like like a pilot in training saying, I don't need to know how the plane flies. Just tell me which <laughs> buttons to press. I mean, a plane pretty yeah. much flies itself, yeah. Yeah. which is pretty much what statistics is now. I mean, you could yeah. run really, really advanced yeah. models by just one line of code. And it's the same thing. If you're like, oh, I don't need to know how it does it. Just tell yeah. me, but it's like, well, do you want a pilot who knows how a plane actually flies, or do you want a pilot yeah. who who just knows how to press the buttons? Because when the shit hits the fan, who <laughs> who would you rather have in the cockpit? You know. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I had a very similar situation years ago, and really at the start of the replication crisis, where there yeah. was a colleague, and there was a lot of uncertainty back then, like a lot of uncertainty. I mean, yeah. especially in some cases, we didn't know, like, is this now fraud? Did I just commit fraud? Like, or is this bee hacking? We didn't have so much understanding. Really, I'm talking about the first months or something. You wow. Know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the first and, months and remember- oh, must, must have been an exciting time. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean because you had you had on the one hand you had p hacking stuff like right. Daryl Bam and precognition mm-hmm. showing significant effects in nine right. studies. You're like, well, but he didn't do fraudulent stuff. And then you had Diedrich Stapel on the other side, and people were like, okay, so in this range, where is this? You know, just like we now discussed, like, is this uh, pseudoscience? Is this fraud? Is this right. uh, pathological? Uh, is this pathological? Or bad science? Or or you know, science done poorly? Yeah, yeah. And and there, a colleague said exactly the same thing. Just tell me what to do, right? Mm. So there's so much uncertainty, and it's just like, just tell me what to do. I'm like, we have to think. We have to think. We have to think about it. We don't know. Right. Yeah. I think that yeah, the fact that you think about carefully about things, right? Go, what is a p-value? What does it mean? Because a lot of people Mm. is like, oh, do I just need to know? Is it above it? Is it below it? Why it needs to be above it? Right? It's just not Mm -hmm. not important. So I think that if you're thinking about it, you're already less likely to. I be in that cargo cult range but i i do acknowledge the fact that yeah it, it can be difficult to, but you know i mean it, it's but what you don't know you don't know right like all you can do is think carefully about what you are doing and then if you miss things well you know it's like saying oh yeah you know 500 years ago there are a lot True. of things that we did that we didn't know were not the right things to do but as long as you were given the knowledge that you have if you're being care- thoughtful and careful i think that's you know you're still mm-hmm. doing well <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's also that it's not that extreme as in the cargo cult example where they do mm-hmm. all these things. But of course, there are no planes that land. Like I don't th- right. have the feeling we're so far removed from generating knowledge that we're not generating knowledge at all. Mm-hmm. But for example, today I was listening in on a talk, which is an online seminar, and it was about mm-hmm. uh, correcting for multiple comparisons. Mm-hmm. And somebody in the presentation showed a graph about the field of economics and how often they corrected for multiple comparisons in the field. Hmm. And in 2010, the percentage was zero. (laughs) I don't know which journal this was, but okay. I mean, you know, I don't have a reference, but let's just assume that this is accurate, right? So there was maybe in some area in economics, zero corrections for multiple comparisons in papers. And then you saw an increase over the last decade up to like 40%. Mm Mm-hmm. So what I'm worried about is what is the stuff where I'm in the 0%? 
I'm not doing it at all because I'm completely unaware that this is a thing I would need to do. So let's just say that the people in economics had something like, no, we don't correct for multiple comparisons. We don't do it. And, and now they're changing their mind about this, which is very scientific. You know, right. that's what happens in science. But where am I? And, and with how many things am I in the, we're not doing it at all. We're not thinking about it at all, but it matters. But would you say there's a distinction between things that we should be doing and we're not doing and mindlessly imitating others? Because that is a like you're doing something by just mm -hmm. mindlessly imitating people. And I would say that's maybe a slightly different than, oh, there are things we should be doing that we're not doing because we just don't know about them. You yeah. know, I, I guess the thing is that it, because it's so normative, you don't even think about it. You don't even think it's a possibility to, to change this thing. So that's for me the cargo cult part. You just do it by imitation. You think it makes sense and you don't think about it at all. And it could be that you're doing things that make it worse, your research. You still generate knowledge, but you're just not efficient or you're, you're missing something. I don't know. Hmm. Right. But, but I do think we should have a distinction between not doing things that we should be doing mm -hmm. um, and doing things because we're just imitating people, sort of like the cargo cult people were doing. Mm -hmm. um, because, because, I mean, the, the, the possibilities of things that could make improve things that we're not doing now is probably mm -hmm. infinite. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you say? Well, maybe not infinite, but there's, it's so, so much more, right? But the number of things we do do is finite. Mm -hmm. And there but, we can but, actually, yeah. Yeah. Do you mean that we don't do things because we haven't discovered them yet? Like right. there are better ways to do exactly. it? Yeah, sure. That happens yeah. all the time. Like that happens we were all not floating fluoride in the water at yeah. the time yeah. because we didn't know it was good for whatever, right? Yeah. But that you couldn't fault people then for not knowing yeah. that, right? And, and there are probably now things we don't do, but we already know they are probably slightly better, but we don't do them or something. That's another category. Yeah, that, right? yeah, and yeah, sure. And that, that I think is more cargo culty where you're like, oh, nobody else is doing it. So why should I make life harder for myself? You know, but, but I think that is not cargo culty yet because there we know about it. So, so there's this other category mm. where you just don't even think about it. So. I'll give you an example. When I uh -huh. teach about this, I often say something about why do we use a 5% alpha level? Or maybe I even will mm -hmm. first ask, who of you uses an alpha level of 5%? And then everybody says, of course, yeah, I use an alpha level of 5%. And then I say, why? And then people don't know. Because Fisher made a lady taste tea and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not actually not, right? No. Because we yeah. think, no, but that is it. That is the cargo cult. That is for me the cargo cult. So we all do it. Then you ask why. Well, right. maybe somebody will come up with a story that's factually incorrect. You know, we can come up with an explanation that's not in line with the truth. Right. But this, and this is just an example of like setting an alpha level somewhere. But I think there are many things. And yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where the things are, which we now accept. And in the future, we won't accept at all because the norms say, yeah, this is good. Look around you. Everybody does it like this. And through repetition, you know, it becomes familiar. And this familiarity gives us the idea like, yeah, we do it for a reason. We have some reason for it, but there's no reason. No. And it, well, not that it's related, but I do sometimes think, so in India, we have a lot of like holidays, a lot of religious holidays, and there's a lot of mm. like rituals to do with everything. And it's uh -huh. sort of the same thing. You're like, oh, you shave, you know, kids' head when they're a year old. It's like, why? 
Does anybody yeah. think about yeah. that anymore? Like, why we need to do this? And it's like, no, I, nobody, nobody thinks it. about it anymore. Yeah. No, and that's that's a, a culture, and cultures have many <laughs> right. of those things. Right. It's fine, yeah. you know. And if you don't hurt anybody, I don't know. This sounds like a weird practice, by the way. What do you do with kids? Like, what is you this? just? I guess you just. But yeah, I mean, I mean, good question. I mean, you just. Sh- yeah, you're supposed to shave. Yeah children's heads when they're a certain year old it's i think some rite of passage i don't know daniel exactly that's my <laughs> exactly, point <laughs> exactly you don't know why yeah. but there are so, but there are very cute pictures of me and my siblings getting our heads shaved in front of a temple so very good. good times very good. yeah and, and, and you passed some right so that's also good some something but but i mean i guess look in culture we think this is fine you do things because everybody does them that is maybe even the definition of culture i don't know i'm not a uh, cultural psychologist but uh, um in science we're mm-hmm. supposed to have some arguments for things we have to know what the reason is and and this is where i think it becomes tricky right because the reason we have cargo cult is because it's so difficult to figure out what the reasons are behind all these things right right yeah so so let's just say that okay some things we mindlessly do because other people tell us to do them like you said click mm-hmm. here report yeah. that number you know and we have no idea why we do them but we do right them. um and and we know that some of those practices are not correct right if all of mm-hmm. those were correct and they had a logical basis which is something that i think we fool ourselves in like well surely there's a reason no well, and you no, know, it could even be that they have a reason, but the problem is not all cases are the same. So if you're mm-hmm. only mindlessly applying certain heuristics that are like it might not apply in your case, right? So exactly. it, it it is incumbent upon well, but that would gonna be my question is like who do you think is responsible for trying to figure out what they mean, right? Like is it the people who are teaching it? Because mm-hmm. they do have to cater to a lot of different kinds of students mm-hmm. who might have different needs, they're doing using different methods. Or is it incumbent upon the people who are doing the work? Like, like, yeah, who's responsible for making sure that we're at least thinking about yeah. what yeah. we're doing without mindlessly just, yeah, yeah. following what's, what's being done? So I think there's a very strong um, tendency to not ask questions about it because you know that getting the answer to this question mm-hmm. might take you a long time. So, so in part, we are responsible in the sense that we... If we don't need to know and we have only so much time, we're very busy, no, don't ask this question. Because <laughs> if you start ask to ask this tell. question, yeah. just imagine you do your statistical analysis and you run into this, okay, I have to set my off level to 5%. You're like, why? Okay. Mm. And then you read papers for the next four months. Yeah. And the end result is, yeah, there's not really good reason, but there's also right. not much else to do. So let's just stick with it. And then you wasted four months, you know, at least, you know, now, that, you know, you know what happen. you're doing. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, well, no, that does happen. I think once I had to teach myself how to do like a ridge regression and it, I spent, you know, like I kind of knew how to do it, but I was like, mm. but I need to still be able to understand where these numbers are coming from. Why do we have this, mm. you know, lambda yeah. at a certain level? And yeah, you mm-hmm. do spend a lot of time understanding yeah. like why we're doing it and you end up doing the same thing but then it, it, yeah. it's very effortful to try to figure out why this is the right thing to do even if it is the right thing to do yeah yeah and and so the question is why do we have so many people again i mean because i teach a lot about statistics that's the examples i use but probably somebody in measurement would just say isn't it weird that we use all these measures and we don't think or talk <laughs> about their validity at all yeah. in their papers? We just report them. We don't think yeah. about it. And we know we do this. And there you're sort of like, yeah, uh, it's not. Pr-. Okay. So everybody in their fields will have certain things. They think, why are we doing this like this? Right. You know? 
Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I think one of the reasons is people don't have time or no, we don't give people time. enough time yeah. to figure all of these things out and be educated about these things. In any case, not before they do their first study. Because we have these PhDs, they have a number of years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't learn about all this stuff. In, in that amount of time, yeah, you have a limited mm -hmm. amount of time. There's only so much you can do. That's true. But it's, it's one thing to say that, yeah, currently we don't, we don't have, you know, enough time. Mm -hmm. Or in some cases, maybe even resources to tell you mm -hmm. all the information you need to, to know to build mm -hmm. an actual airport. Mm -hmm. Where planes mm -hmm. can land, okay, right? Yeah. But but yeah. but we'll we'll give you sort of like a rough idea of okay, this is what you know. Yeah, go and build something that's close enough. Close enough for now, just like a shot. But but then eventually, you should yeah. be building up the skills to to be able to build an actual airport where a plane can yeah. land. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that's an interesting. Lots of aviation metaphors in this uh, in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's an interesting case because you make it so explicit. You say, okay, go build something. And then and then somebody's like, yeah, but I'm going to call in the airplane now to land. <laughs> I mean, if that would be the case, you're like, no, 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 no. no wait, <laughs> we were we were practicing here. We were practicing. This is not, no, yeah. but we just, this you know. This is not we an just actual did... headphone. This is just like a bunch <laughs> exactly. of straws. There's no antennas exactly. here. <laughs> yeah, we're just yelling really loudly. You can't communicate uh. with the pilot. No, don't do it. Yeah. Exactly. So, so we, yeah, I mean, so if it's practice, it's practice. Okay. But we have this weird in-between state. Where we say you're not 100% ready, or I don't know, you can't be 100% knowledgeable. But mm -hmm. we say, look, there's a lot of stuff you don't know. And of course, we have the supervisory system, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I think the idea is that a supervisor knows what they do. But supervisors will just honestly say, I also have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> if you have a good supervisor, they'll just be honest and say, yeah, right. uh, I don't know. I don't know, you know. Um, and... Um, yeah, so we have this system where through the generations, after a while, you've never learned this, you didn't have mm -hmm. the time, and you're still doing this, but now you're even supervising other people about this. And I think that's the state you reach with certain of these um, issues. And um, it might not even be impossible to learn, you know, it might not even be too difficult to learn, but we just don't do it. And then it doesn't come into the system and we keep not thinking about certain things for a very long time. Yeah. And it is super tricky because it's, I mean, methods change. There's new ones that come out all the time, right? So that creates, I think, its own set of challenges. The mm -hmm. other issue, of course, is that there are so many ways in which you could be improving your practice. Like, how do you know yeah. which, what, what to actually focus on, Completely right? right? Like, how do, you, how do you know what is more important for what you're doing than others? And so where do you, where do you invest your time and energy in? Yeah. That can be very hard to tell, yeah. Like I just said, if you spend those four months right. learning about where to set an off yeah. level, and then at the end, you're just going to set it at 5% anyway, but <laughs> just with the knowledge that it is a norm uh, and, and kind of random, but okay, you know. Yeah. That, that's not maybe not worth learning. You know, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I read all those papers. Right. Uh, I can't really recommend it to other people, I guess. You know, now we can, of course, give a short five-minute uh, summary of this, which goes beyond, like, it, this is 5% because that is what everybody does. We mm -hmm. can say a little bit more. And, of course, in teaching, we do this. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, if you're doing your own stuff and you don't have people around you, so it's also, like, not just time resources, but also mm -hmm. the... The, the environment, like, are there people in your environment who already know about all these things right. that you can go and ask Reach and out. say, is yeah. this worth learning more about? Or can mm -hmm. I just do this without complete understanding? Or, right. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, now with, you know, the internet and Twitter, maybe maybe things are a little bit easier where you could sort of it's reach out to point. more reach out to more people than you would have been able to in the past. So I, I think this is a very good point because this yeah. is how we figured out we had so many of these things that were norms <laughs> right, that yeah. we were unquestionably doing. And then, you know, there were just a couple of people who did know about it and they're like, but this is wrong. Yeah. And 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 again, I mean, this is something that I also during education try to explain, but I think there are these department departments where there is this one person mm-hmm. after every colloquium, they'll raise mm-hmm. their hand mm-hmm. and they'll say something, but you report a null result, but you did not really think about statistical power. And mm. then, you know, for decades, everybody in the department is like, oh, there's this oh, person that. again oh, <laughs> with their comment about statistical power. What the hell are they talking about? Like, we don't do this. We don't talk about power at all. Mm. Like, what are you talking about? There's a... But then you had the Internet and it turns out that like every department had this one person saying, but what about statistical? And you're like, oh, my God, there are more of them. Oh, my. Oh, dear. They might actually have a point. And, and now we are doing it. So. Exactly. Mm. Like having these resources online made a big difference in identifying things like, I'm not crazy. This matters, you know. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe each of us should have just like a pet thing. Everybody has their pet, you know, that's a power guy. That's a p-value guy, you know. That's yeah. the can it be replicated guy. That's the measurement guy. We, yeah. Or, or gal. No, I think it's sorry not to be sexist here. <laughs> e- exactly. Exactly. But no, I think it's a it's a very interesting point because there's so much stuff to learn. If you can pick one thing, you know, right. and you make that your right. expertise. That your thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many. I think this is a lovely recommendation, by the way, because indeed, like, are you going to learn about everything? No. no. Yeah. You pick no. your thing. Yeah. Yeah. And can we have a distributed system where everybody mm. pick their thing? Lovely, you know, because. I don't know. There are these things that you sometimes rarely do. Let's say, you know, you calculate the reliability, inter-rater mm-hmm. reliability in right. some coding thing. Well, I don't know. I've done that maybe twice in, mm-hmm. you know, in the last 15 years. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure both times I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was just imitating <laughs> something I read and yeah. rolled it mm-hmm. down the same way. And I'm like, I, I hope it's fine. Well, if there was this one person mm. around who was the inter-rater reliability <laughs> person, they knew about this, yeah. I could have gone to them and say, hey, how... Is this nonsense what I'm doing here? And they say yes, because what you're (laughs) imitating is a paper from 1972. And actually, we have 50 years more of research on this. (laughs) And now you're supposed to do it like this because we, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. No, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. I wonder if like they could do it at a department level where the department gets together. It's like, yeah, what are the the tools and methods that we need to be up on? We make a list. We make a whole list of all the things we need, and then everybody gets assigned what you know, or you can pick stuff, and then whatever's left over can be assigned. And then you're like, okay, now you just have to be an expert on this, and we'll come yeah. to you when you need help, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like the idea. <laughs> Except, of course, I mean, so this is a pretty good idea for right. for a lot of things where we think it's probably worth knowing a little bit more about, right. and then you can prevent norms there. We still have the leftover category of, yeah, I mean, nobody is seeing that this is an issue. Like Mm. just nobody, you know? And there'll be a moment where you're just like, yeah, how did we manage to do this? But maybe there we just have to admit that this is just progress in science. You know, this is not cargo cult. This is just science. Everybody missed something. um, And now it was discovered that this is a thing we need to do. And okay, yeah, then it's not too bad. Yeah, I mean, I I think so. There's no way to get around. We don't know what we don't know. So there, there is. Exactly. I don't think there's a way to get around that. Yeah. That bit would be. Yeah. Would be my thing. I think. Yeah. Um, well, maybe maybe we can be a bit more um, aware of it or sensitive to it or ex- in, in you know 
expecting that there will be certain things. Mm -hmm. So I, I often think people think, look, this is the way we do it. And that means it's right. But about our methods or procedures, we, we rarely sort of think, okay, how would it be? Right. We mentioned this in the, in the first episode and mm -hmm. some others, like if you take this 400 year perspective, it's so obvious that things yeah. completely change. Right. So, so having this a little bit is nice. And there is one other thing that we can do mm -hmm. um, that I, I just think about now is you can um, wander around different disciplines. Oh, and I was thinking exactly the same thing. You can look at what <laughs> other people are doing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it reminded me of like, I mean, the whole blind analysis idea. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. so simple in its like in its execution. Mm -hmm. Not something in a million years I would have thought to do myself, right? I knew they did it yeah. in physics. And it, and yeah. when you get down to it, you're like, it's not that hard to do. Would never have thought about it until I had had that conversation with, you know, Dr. Palmer. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you, you could just like see what other people are doing and then be like, oh, yeah, why, why don't we adopt mm -hmm. that? Like they seem to yeah. do it. And, and that's yeah. what I was also mentioning, right? It's nice to see other disciplines struggling with the same issues because then you can think about, oh, yeah, how did they deal with it? Right. Yeah. So when you see parallels, yeah, that, that that's yeah. a great recommendation. And and these can really be things that you're like, wow, I wouldn't have even thought this was possible. Right. You know? Right. Right. And uh, and I think that's nice. I remember being in Japan once uh, for for work for a visit, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, this is my uh, um, cross intercultural uh, experience uh, <laughs> yeah. where you're like, oh wow, norms are really really different sometimes. Uh -huh. And uh, we were in a public space just having uh, lunch. Mm -hmm. And I was there with a Japanese colleague mm -hmm. and um, he had put his bag with his laptop on a chair. But this is like a very public place. And then mm -hmm. we had to walk over to some uh, bar to order lunch, basically, mm -hmm. and some drinks. But his bag was almost out of sight, you know, and his laptop was sticking out. Very public place. People walking past right. all the time. Mm -hmm. So so I had grabbed my own bag mm -hmm. and took it to um, where we were going to get food. And I'm like, hey, your, your bag is over there. You know, is this OK? And he just looked at me. He's like. Yeah, people don't steal here. That's what he said. Like people don't steal here. But he looked like I was a caveman coming from some sort of primitive society. I'm like, is this really a thing? Like, is there just is a society normal? where, yeah. you know, if you leave your laptop, like nobody's gonna steal it? And I mean, it's not like people steal stuff all the time, but it's like, you know, my laptop has been stolen once. You know, wow. so yeah. I mean, it happens. It happens. You know? Yeah, people uh -huh. people do steal here, but you're like, oh wow, they're just you know, completely yeah. different ways that you wouldn't even think uh, yeah. about. So. So, so the equivalent is sort of um, uh, going not to a different country, but going to a different discipline mm. and just say, yeah, how See do you what work? What are the things you're doing here? What, what did you realize is important and uh, that we are maybe missing? Well, but see, but the analogy there, Daniel, will be that, oh, we're, we're in a discipline where everybody's more honest than others. And <laughs> I don't know how, how do you replicate <laughs> that in your own discipline? <laughs> yeah, well, that maybe we can briefly talk about this. So, um, I mean, we, we talked about probably having a ne next episode about going beyond cargo calls, right? But mm. for you, where's the difference between honesty? Like, is honesty part of a cargo cult? Are we still honest when we're in a cargo cult? Or is it actually sort of dishonesty in some way? I'll answer this question by first reading something from Cargo Cult Science and then mm. talking about something that gets mentioned in the, the, the article on pathological science. So um, in Cargo Cult Science, Feynman says that the truth will just eventually come out. He's talking about how if you repeat there, you'll find things. But the, then he talks about you have to be really careful to do work well. Um, you know, you might, if, you, if you're not doing things carefully, you might get reputation or fame, but you will not get a good reputation as a scientist. Mm -hmm. And it's this type of integrity 
this kind of care of not to fool yourself that is missing to a large extent in much of the research in cargo cult science. A great deal of their difficulties, of course, and there he's talking about, I think, disciplines like ours, <laughs> like psychology. <laughs> a great deal of their difficulties, of course, um, the difficulty of the subject and the inapplicability of the scientific method to the subject. Nevertheless, it should be remarked that this is not the only difficulty. That's why the planes don't land, but they still don't land. Hmm. And I, I, I do think there's an, a big issue, I think, in our discipline about, at least in my mind, about, like, yeah, some of the things we study, like, hmm. is the scientific method even appropriate for the things that we're studying well, hmm. or not, which, hmm. is, which, might be a, which might be a whole thing on its own. But the mm -hmm. question of is, are people being honest? I mean, this comes up definitely in the path of the article on pathological science, where Langmuir is mentioning that, um, you know, these people are not dishonest. They're not mm -hmm. trying to fool other people. It's just mm -hmm. that they believe what they think, right? And especially when you're sort of at the threshold of, I think he gives this great example of like, it, it's like, if if you're looking, they they were like I mean again I did, I don't I can't follow all the you know their experimental designs and stuff yeah. because mm -hmm. they're all like you know look, look these rays and these cathodes and then we shine this light. But if you have like a very dimly lit um, something and you're trying to figure out whether th there's even a light source or not, mm -hmm. then he's like mm -hmm. you can put your hand in front of it and be able to tell if it's there or not. Yeah. And he's like, well, in that case, he's like it doesn't matter if your hand is above or behind this paper. You will still see it because you you know that your hand is there, yeah. right? Like if that's your measure of like mm -hmm. of whether whether the light is shining or not, then you it, you you are more likely, especially when things are at this weird threshold. Mm -hmm. th then then the fact that you know it's your hand and you know it's there will sort of bias you into the favor of like seeing something. And I think at least that's what we as psychologists at least I think have to. Mm -hmm struggle with a little bit because it's like we all I mean especially as social psychologists I mean these are mm -hmm. things that we see around us all the time we all have it's like you're not coming mm -hmm. into things with any kind of you know completely objective idea like you you know the way the world works you know you have a lot of experience working with people around people right yeah. and so it's yeah, yeah. You, you will end up sort of seeing things in the direction of what you expect just because you have so much experience working with people mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so I I don't yeah I don't think it's like being dishonest but it's just that yeah we're people and we have experience with people and that makes it really difficult to study things yeah um, yeah well and and this earlier question you mentioned like is is this even possible <laughs> right I, I think that is a great example of something that could be a cargo cult um because i think in psychology everybody thinks look we're, what we're doing is the scientific method. We do our experiments right. and we gain knowledge that will allow us to predict things about mm -hmm. human behavior. And um, that in itself is, of course, an assumption that you right. can doubt. Now, 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 I don't think in perception research, I think these people are close enough to physics and far away from free will, you know, and I think that's true <laughs> yeah. for many things in cognitive psychology where free will plays a very little role, mm -hmm. but it becomes much more uh, important in social psychology or things like developmental psychology. Right. There's so many things uh, going on there. And this has been uh, discussed um, and it was a crisis. So there, the the previous crisis, mm. because you know people are always <laughs> saying, like historians of psychology say, psychology is in a continuous crisis. Yeah, always a crisis. Yeah, and and you can find crises going back a century. Yeah. But um, there was a pretty big one, and there was work by um, uh, Gergen, uh, a researcher, mm. 
who who sort of said, yeah, you know, this this idea that we can predict things about human beings, <sighs> that is just flawed. That mm, is just not what we're doing. Huh. So basically, psychology should be seen as a history. We describe things that happened in the past, and those can be interesting, uh, and we can learn from them. But we should not fool ourselves that we are a science like some of these other science right. that discover laws and can predict things. That's just not what we do. And I think that's a nice example of something that was a crisis. Like I'm not, I wasn't there, but it was a real <laughs> yeah. crisis. People Around were really what? like, "Do you remember which years this was?" Uh, he has a book that came out. I'm not completely sure when. Uh, I think 1973. I'm I'm cheating. I'm just looking mm -hmm. it up. Yeah. 1973. And uh, yeah, it's a, a book or a paper or something called hmm. um, Social Psychology as History. Right. I, I think I've heard some people mentioning that, that, yeah, we're just sort of, you know, ca I mean, the, an another way to look at it would be not even that we're just like, yeah, history or that we can't predict things, but that we can just explain things that happened. Mm hmm. Which is sort of mm -hmm. what people try to do. I mean, when you think about like the Milgram experiment or even the Stanford, right? It, they were trying to see, oh, yeah, how could these people during, you know, Nazi Germany were able to do these things, uh, right? Mm -hmm. So you're trying to mm -hmm. look at actually what happened with people's or even cognitive dissonance. I guess there was a whole cult issue, um, mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. doomsday mm -hmm. cult and stuff like that, right? Like oh, we see mm -hmm. things happen and then we try to explain them, which actually might make us closer to something like biology as opposed to physics, right? Where it's yeah. not that we're trying to find laws that govern all of you know the world yeah. but we're trying to just explain what we see and trying to like organize yeah. the, the things that we observe and maybe just trying to label them right yeah. which would be a little bit close to biology than it is to physics yeah so i think i mean just by talking about this topic i think yeah. we've stumbled across something that for me yeah feels like huh yeah i actually <laughs> have not thought about this <laughs> and I'm not sure what to say now, because if you're telling me like, Daniel, so you choose, is psychology like history? Is it like biology or is it like physics? I'm like, uh, 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 honestly, I have no clue. I did not think about this. I was in some sort of mindset that we were probably predicting things like in physics. And now I'm like, mm, I don't know. So, you know, the, just yeah. by talking about this topic, you will stumble across Something. things you just mindlessly hold to be true and this is not right. this feels like it's not like this stupid alpha level thing where you're like yeah well who cares no right. this feels like this matters you know these kind of things yeah mm. yeah mm. and you would think i mean i mean you, you like why don't we talk about this i guess this is this mm. has been like an ongoing mm -hmm. thing of, with with us in this podcast is like yeah these are things mm -hmm. we should mm -hmm. be discussing a lot more mm -hmm. um but but you know what yeah. but what is but you know what is interesting i once um like was talking to this um friend who was you know did like neuroscience and stuff and i mean he mm -hmm. like th like hardcore science like they were <laughs> no 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 but, but like he was building like artificial noses out of like okay. they were they were taking like live neurons and turning yeah. them into like yeah into like That's... machines and yeah like just like hardcore stuff and i remember i can't remember but i asked him some kind of like this philosophical question of like what do you think science is or like i would talk talking to him about something we might have talked about and he mm. was like He's like, we didn't, we didn't talk about things like this. We just did science. Like, we, <laughs> like we just did it. We didn't sit around thinking, what is science and are we a science? And so, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we're in that phase as a as psychology, but maybe others are. You know, in physics, they probably don't sit around like, are we a science? Are we not a science? So, yeah, yeah, 
Well, I think I think there there are people there who also discuss like what mm. are we doing, and I think so. That's yeah. also quite a philosophical science. I think um, maybe you're talking yeah more about engineers, engineering, like real, right, real engineering, and right, you're just like maybe. who cares? <laughs> These people did not have noses. Now they have noses. I mean, that yeah. sounds pretty useful. I would if I would be making noses for people who oh. don't have noses. I would not think about. Well, well, was sorry. it something else? Well, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't noses for people, but like noses to detect certain things. So if you were trying to detect certain scents or something, you could you could just have like this little thing, like this machine oh, that could do ah. it. Oh, a so sensor, you, more like a, a sensor, right? A sensor, an yeah, artificial but, nose. But using like actual like solids from animals and stuff. I mean, it was. I don't even know mm. what exactly mm. went on to mm. this, but it sounded yeah complicated. Yeah. But I guess you're right. Engineering might be a different, yeah like orientation than if you're doing sort of like more yeah theoretical physics or exactly right, right, yeah, i think right, so right. i think so yeah then you you can get away with just uh, i mean it, it i'm not saying that it's not worthwhile thinking about cargo mm -hmm. cult issues in those fields as well they will have them um but not about these big questions right maybe yeah right yeah. and you are right i think there was recently that article by um sabina hoff hosenfelder is her name sabina hosenfelder Sabina Hassenfelder, yeah. I think she had that great article. And this is the, that reminds me. So, yeah, she had this article talking about how everybody's trying to discover these new particles now. And it's mm. in yeah. physics, which sounded similar to what Langmuir talks about in his article, where he's mm. like, oh, yeah, X-rays were pretty in, in, in vogue back in the day. And then so everybody, now we have N-rays and now we have these other rays and everybody's. Um, so it seems like yeah. a faddish thing. But, yeah, they probably do also have the same issue of, you know, people trying to follow the practices that have been going on to then discover new things, but applying them in a way that isn't really, right? You're either mm -hmm, trying to confirm mm -hmm. something yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or trying to, yeah, prove the existence of something that may not exist and you're falling into these traps of turning into a sort of a cargo culty yeah. practice. Yeah, and I think yeah. the, the book, I think she also has a book, uh, Sabina Holzenfeller. I think she's a good example of somebody who's trying to actively yeah. point out the possibility that there might be cargo culty kind of behavior going on so <laughs> yeah oh, it's useful yeah 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 um yeah I, I can't think about anything else anymore i'm just like are we now like biology like history are we now <laughs> I, I don't know I, i'm now so distracted i have to i don't know yeah am i but in a cargo I mean, cult are you already yeah i guess we well but that is you know um a great question that we can pick up next time yeah yeah is psychology okay. more like history biology or physics Ah, we should pick this up in the yeah. future, I think so. Yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nullius in Verba. Our theme song is Newton's Cradle by Grand Brothers. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or comments you'd like to share, you can reach us over email at nulliusinverbapod at gmail.com or our social media accounts at Mastodon or Twitter. In this episode, we discuss the ritualistic mimicking of scientific practices that is emblematic of what physicist Richard Feynman called cargo cult science, and how these are different or similar to pseudoscience and pathological science. In his speech, Cargo Cult Science, Feynman advises that we should publish results no matter how the results turn out, and not only if they turn out the way we expect them to. In the next episode, we'll elaborate on this idea and discuss the issue of publication bias. We hope you will join us.